This is Mind Rape. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for Mind Rate Episode 7. Uh, we're back. We're back again so soon. Uh, at the conclusion of my uh, uh, podcast episode with Jesse talking about Hybrid Faction Combat Club, he informed me that he didn't get a, ch a chance to ask me all of the questions he had for me because I was too busy asking him questions. So now we're going we're gonna to switch things up a little bit and Mr. Lennox is going to take the host seat and he's going to grill me uh, and press my buttons, so to speak. He's promised to dig deep. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Lennox, the floor is yours. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank so, you for coming back. Um, there's certain people in your life that you meet and you have a conversation with and you can fairly quickly realize that there's just not a whole lot of depth to them. There's You can kind of figure them out and predict the future of who they are and what they're going to be and what their actions are going to be. But there's other people that you don't meet as often that there's a whole lot more to them. And looking back to, I cannot think of a conversation that you and I have ever had that we finished. That we were like, yeah, I think we're done talking about that. And we just moved on. We always run out of time. So, and that happens with a very select few people. And those people are the ones that, hopefully if you're doing it right, you're surrounding yourself with. Um, and I'm selfishly sitting here today because I got some questions for you. So, um, fire away. Yeah, uh, there's there's so much that you're doing that you're touching on that is uh, just seems to be turning to gold. And for I've I've seen you before and I've seen you now, and I understand where that gold is coming from. It was mined ten years ago, and now the profits are starting to roll in. Uh, so to speak. And so I want to, there's a lot of people that are going to start to just know who you are. You're just starting to hit the map on so many different levels that um, from the outside looking in, it looks like you're getting some exponential growth in the business world. And so you're starting to get noticed in a lot of different places. And so people are going to start to search and figure out who you are. And I would just want to provide a platform for others and myself uh, to learn a lot. Well, hopefully a little bit more about you because there's there's so much more outside of this conversation too. Yeah, but I'll I'll do my best to dump the concentrate, <laughs> the concentrated version. So. Distill it down for us, brother. Yeah. For everyone that didn't get to uh, listen to, that doesn't know you or that didn't get to listen to the, either the former podcast or the beginning of Keone Coke, where does this story start? So, uh, the earliest memories that I have are in a gym. Um, some of them anyway, are in a gym named raw power in the 1980s. So my mom ran this gym, uh, or she managed uh, some kind of fitness classes cause she was a bodybuilder. She was uh, miss Iowa bodybuilding 1984. Shout out to my mom. She hates it when I tell people that, 
But uh, I grew up in this gym, and now I think I understand where a lot of insecurities in my early life stemmed from. And that is walking around this gym and seeing Hercules everywhere. You know, these are some of my earliest memories. I was surrounded by these hulking people. My dad was a pretty built dude at the time. Uh, my mom was a bodybuilder, and they surrounded themselves with lifting and gym life. And uh, I was husky. I had husky legs. I was a kind of a chubby, portly little kid. Not like, uh, I won't say like truffle shuffle, right? But husky. And I was insecure as hell around, uh, I don't know at this age if I had developed that, but later I think that the model of the human being that I had been set was so high that my body type wasn't necessarily made for it. <laughs> um, but those are some of my first memories was seeing my mom uh, compete back then. Women's bodybuilding was a lot less masculine. There was a lot less drugs, drug use in it, to just be honest. And uh, she got out of it because of the steroids. But I grew up around a gym and my mom and dad didn't have much money. So one of the other big contributing factors to the beginning of my story and what shaped my character when I was young, I think, was the level of moving around that we actually did. We moved almost every year uh, for some reason, whether we didn't like we had one time we had a guy that was a total asshole, alcoholic, constantly up all night, you know, throwing stuff and shit got out of there, go to another apartment, there's roaches, like, you know, we constantly had to be moving all the time for financial strife or whatever. And what happened was, uh, I, f I feel like I lacked human connection. You know what I'm saying? My family was amazing. My older brother got into a little bit of trouble, but I still looked up to him. Uh, but my mom and dad raised me. I was the only planned child that they had. And they shared this with my brothers, by the way, so <laughs> I'm not breaking the news. I was the only planned child that they had. And so I've got a, I got sheltered from a lot of things because my brother had kind of made some behavioral problems. But really, we moved around so much. I never was able to <clears throat> develop really, really strong social connections with people for any extended amount of time. I I'd, I'd developed friends for a while. And then by the time that like I started really getting attached to people, we would move. It would crush me, break my heart, and then I'd have to make new friends. Well, we moved so much that I just stopped seeking friendship and seeking connection, and I felt super, super isolated. And again, my mom was teaching me all about these diverse ideas. You know, she's a hippie, so she, you know, she was very frank with me at a young age about drug use and things like this. So I had my mind open, I feel like, at a really young age for my mom. And then my dad was the nurturer. My dad made sure no matter what, there was never going to be judgment. No matter how bad I screwed up, he was always going to be there for me. And he went way out of his way. Uh, to make sure that all of his sons had a better life than him. That was all the man cared about. It might have been not what he cared about when he was a young man, but ever since I've known my dad, everything was completely selfless. And I would later learn um, potentially why he was so selfless, and that was that we had a, he had a boy, he had a son, that he didn't know about until it had been adopted. And by the time he knew about it or wanted to be in his life, it was too late. So I think that the reason he was so selfless during his, you know, his three new three sons life is because he was really heartbroken about not being in that kid's life. And that I know is for a fact, since I've talked to my mom about it after my dad passed. So it's a lot of information, but um, 
we were all over the place. So I didn't have any social connections. And so I spent a lot of time in my own head and, and not developing them. Where was raw power? Like, where was that? And then when you moved, did you move across town or did you move town to town? Um, raw power, I think was in Marion, but it was in Cedar Rapids or Marion. I don't know. I don't you know exactly. Were sure, in but... the, yeah. You were in this area. Yes. I, I was born in this area. I was born in, um, in Mercy Hospital. I've been here all my life. I've moved around since, but the, my childhood was spent moving across town here, across town there, a new school. Uh, one time we moved and relocated to Lamont, Iowa. Um, this was shortly after my mom and dad separated. They said they separated for financial reasons. I think they separated for more than financial reasons. Um, I think they were just stressed out to the max and they needed time apart. They ended up getting back together again, of course, but my dad moved to Lamont and we lived with my grandparents, uh, Vince and Lois, for about a year. So I was in kindergarten in Lamont, made all these friends, you know, a farm town, everybody's like buddies. Oh, I, I was actually to a point where I was going to people's like birthday parties. This is something I avoided because I was so socially withdrawn. And then right when I got used to like Jeremy Spears and all my new friends, <laughs> moving back to Cedar Rapids, didn't know anybody again, you know. So that was kind of the story. I went from Marion District to Cedar Rapids District up to Lamont, back to Cedar Rapids, and it was it was a cluster. And by the time I got back to Cedar Rapids um, in the third grade, started going to Harrison Elementary School, I was like totally withdrawn, loner kid. I got along with people for sure, but I was in my own head. I was spending time a lot in my own mind. Now, the more time that you spend with elite athletes, and I'm talking like tip of the spear people that are building their sport if you truly get to know them they talk about being alone everyone looks at them and thinks they have it all man they have all these friends everyone's getting a hold of them on social media but in order for them to be who they are they have to isolate themselves because they're only they're the only one on that path there might be some people that step on the path with them for a short amount of time and then step back off, step back on, step back off. But they are so alone at the top of the mountain. The extra mile is rarely crowded. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get comfortable being isolated? Do you think that that uh, set you up for success later on, being very comfortable alone and not uh, constantly seeking out other people to uh, be with you in this space since you started life the way that you started it? I wasn't comfortable. I was miserable. When I was young and I wanted connection and I didn't, I had it with my family. But I started harboring ideas and thoughts that when I got out of my family's reach, when I became an adult, it was going to be the same thing. Except this time I wasn't living with my family. I was by myself. I was in a, you know, from the time... A fairly young place, I was in a pretty dark place because I didn't have a lot of hope for my future. And uh, it, it was painful. I did want connection, but my own shyness and insecurities prevented me from making those connections after a certain point. So um, I, know the, I know the loneliness that you talk about because I've cultivated that later in life and learned to appreciate solitude. But back then, all I wanted was you know, to feel loved. And uh, even though my parents went well out of their way, you know, as well as I do, you spend the rest of your time in your adolescence growing up, going through puberty, just going, what the fuck is going to happen to me? You know, 
So I was alone in my own thoughts and I wasn't comfortable with it. A lot of the thoughts were self-deprecating thoughts and you, you know, you suck. Nobody loves you. You're not that, you know, you got fat legs, you got husky legs. Your grandma called you husky. That is not positive. <laughs> but she keeps feeding me so many potatoes. <laughs> um, but you know what? I got comfortable with it and I got angry. I got really upset that I could see people enjoying life. And I got really upset at the, at the idea of having one life and wasting it and not feeling appreciated and not having a purpose. Part of this was uh, the early understanding of mortality. Uh, I feel like I got a grip on death real early. And I knew because of that, because I lost people very close to me, how precious it was and how fleeting it was. And when I walk by, I've, we've talked about this, maybe I've talked to other people about this, but when I go to a cemetery, like I look at these gravestones, these little plaques, and I'll just, every time I go to a, every, every time I've ever been in a graveyard my entire life, I look at this plaque and I go, that's somebody's whole life. And there's this almost strange sadness that waves over me because I know that a lot went into that. I know that person experienced things that I can't possibly comprehend. Maybe I can comprehend, but it's, it's, it's a whole a life in existence. And now it's a cube, which to me is very, a very simple, solemn message. You better start running. You better get as much done as you can do. You better work as hard as you can uh, work. And you better make some kind of difference. I used to be wrapped up in uh, my ego. And when I was a kid, probably because I felt so, uh, I don't know, worthless, that I wanted like statues built of me. Someday I just want to, I want to be like etched in stone and I don't give a shit about that anymore. Um, but the thought that I might be relegated, my life might be relegated to a small rectangle on the ground that would eventually get stomped into eternity bothered me. It, it seemed like the ultimate sad waste of uh, magical opportunity that I think a lot of people didn't quite understand. I feel like I figured it out because I did. I, all I had was time when I was a kid to think about um, bigger questions, you know, and I wanted answers. So if you could go back and have a conversation with yourself to set yourself up for success earlier on in life, uh, what would you sit down with early Keone Coke and say? When would it happen? And then what would you say? Um, based on my experiences, it's difficult to say that I would because there would uh, potentially be an unintended consequence that by the time it got back around, I would never have a passion to ask that question. But noting that the experience is the most important thing in perspective is, is the grind. Um, I think I would have went back and told myself to believe in myself and believe uh, of my, my own capabilities. I think I would echo a sentiment that many, many people said to me, and I don't think I would listen. I think I'd have to go through the process. I think everybody has to go through the process to some degree. And we've talked about this failure, failing, I mean, failing making podcasts, failing with my video angles and then going, damn it, 
I got to put pictures in this one and it's going to look so amateurish. Who gives a shit? I don't care. Um, but that's a great question. I think that if I believe in what I believe in now, in the person that I am now, and I don't have to worry about it affecting, uh, you know, a back to the future like chain of events that will, you know, destroy us all. I'd say just be be kind, be more kind, be more friendly, be more outgoing, reach out to people more. Because one consistent bit of feedback that I've gotten from people is that I'm off-putting, and I seem arrogant, and I seem. Uh, some people have even said narcissistic. So I went and talked to a therapist. Turns out I'm probably solid there not a solid you found the right therapist to tell you what you want yeah exactly right on i'll find the right one it's only been four (laughs) they're all wrong except for this uh one out of five uh therapists says i'm not a narcissist anyways uh so i've always known you i've always known you to be confident and Mm so i'm trying to understand how you went from your definition of husky um, to confident. I can tell Basically, you, a, I can you tell telling you. yourself you have husky legs is what I'm saying. Yeah. Now you telling yourself I can do this. Um, I can tell you the, I'll tell you two things. The first one was the first time I actually faced fear and it was when I was young and it didn't help me in terms of social interactions that much, but it, it gave me some sense of empowerment that I was capable of something else. Um, we lived in this duplex it was 254 11th Street Northwest. It was, uh, uh, we were in the back. There's a gravel alley behind it and filled with roaches, filled with roaches at the time. When we first moved there, I believe I was in the third grade. Uh, so there was this hallway upstairs. We had the whole upstairs. My parents' bedroom was all the way down at the end. My bedroom was to the right. There was only two and the bathroom was right across from my bedroom. The hallway light was right next to the bathroom. So if I wanted to go to the bathroom, I had to go up the stairs, turn on the hallway light going up the stairs, and then the blackness of the hallway. When I was a kid, I was terrified. Like I'm watching, I'm marching right into hell right now. There's nothing there. <laughs> so I would run as fast as I could, turn on the light. Oh, I'm gonna live. I'd go to the bathroom, lights on, everything's good. And then you have to come out of the bathroom. Why would they put the light in the middle of the hallway? I I thought about it every single day. But I know as soon as I hit this light, the demons are coming from the abyss of my parents' room. There's a crawl space back there that I didn't dare go in there even look in because that was the darkest of the dark. But I'd hit this switch, I'd run down the hall, and I'd get, I'd literally ricochet. I'm light, you know, I'm light enough. I ricochet off the wall on my way downstairs. And once I get to the reach of the light, I'm like, oh, I made it again. Didn't even want to look back. I got so tired of that, bro. I was like, okay, so you don't have any friends or very few friends. You are scared of everything. I wouldn't play sports. I wouldn't try out for sports. I probably would have done okay at some things. But I didn't try out because I convinced myself at that time I had not played enough. I've not played enough sports as a young child to be competitive. I'm going to let people down. I'm not going to meet up their expectations, et cetera. I wouldn't even go out. So I, I run up to the end of this hallway and I'm, I just, I'm upset. What, you know, I'm, I'm upset with myself. And so I just go, you know what? I don't hear on TV about people being disappeared into dark hallways. I'm just going to, I'm going to turn around. 
and I stopped and the light is the light from the staircase is like, you know, but behind me is the abyss. And so I turn around and I just stare into the abyss and I go, whatever, take me then I'll fight, but I'm tired of this. And so my eyes adjust after a little bit and I can see further and further in the hall. I can even see almost so far that I could kind of make out where the light switch would be. And I'm like, okay, I walk into the night. I walk into the darkness and I, I explore every crevice of my room. I crawl under the bed. That was horrifying. I go in my closet. I thought some portal might open up. But my light, the light coming in from the windows, the slight amount of light in this duplex is starting to adjust my eye. And I can see things that I couldn't see before. And the more that I went and explored these places, the more confident I got in this moment. And the more I went, what isn't seen shouldn't necessarily be feared type of thing if that makes sense and then i went into my parents room and that was still pretty hairy because it was like blackout shades dark 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 stayed in there for a while even my eyes adjusted ever so much that i could see the outline of furniture and stuff but i'm feeling a new sense of empowerment and i walk out the door and i remember the cross space and i go you came this far if you don't go in there and sit and prove to yourself, you're a liar. You're still afraid. And so I bit the bullet. And it took everything, everything, everything in me to do it. Because no matter what, you didn't see shit in there. It was dark. It was dark room inside of a dark room. And I went in there and I, I sat for two to three minutes, still couldn't see anything, but I was still there and whatever demon would have taken me would have taken me. And that was when I realized that um, there were scarier things in the world than there were in the dark. And so did that help me try out for wrestling? Nope, I tried out for wrestling, it's too much work, too early in the morning, quit after two days. Didn't like people throwing me around, be honest. I didn't like people throwing me around and being the new guy, so quit. Still had social problems, but believed in myself to some degree for the first time that I could overcome things. That was a big thing for me. Um, what was the original question again? <laughs> let, let, let's let's uh, uh, touch on that a little bit. So I'm guessing, I still do anyway, have those thoughts where um, one voice inside your head says to do this and one size one is positive and one is negative one saying you don't have the ability to do it and one saying that you do uh how do you feed that or how did you feed it then and then how do you feed it now the gravestone hmm? the gravestone is before the the graves uh understanding mortality and understanding people died um yeah i, I actually my first big experience was with death was right around that same time of the, um, the conquering of the dark because my grandma passed away. My grandma Lois passed away and I had some horrible nightmares that day of it. But one of those nightmares was that uh, I walked into their house and I saw her doing the dishes. The sink was right in front, right when you walk into this porch and I would see her fluffed up curled hair, you know, and scrubbing with her whatever. And I was like, grandma, because she had just died the night before or whatever. Grandma, what are you doing? Like, I thought you were gone. And she's, oh, no, I'm fine. She's talking to me. And I'm like, so I, like, get closer and start walking around. And she turns and looks at me, and it's my dad's face. 
and I was that in that moment I, w- I went my dad's gonna die someday that's when I knew you know, I was like eight years old and so the finality of death or mortality set into me young and it was something that I battled with for decades I have a finite amount of time here you know I, I have to make some kind of mark I have to make some kind of impact on the world in some profound meaningful way and it's got to be good it can't be bad I lost hope in my ability to do that throughout my adolescence and I was very negative and I thought and I probably have told you this that I was going to end up dead somehow um, in prison or in the military and I had a United States Marine Corps poster hung above my bed because I thought that was the best of those three options it wasn't until uh, I discovered martial arts through Bruce Lee and started training and hitting the bag and feeling more and more power and understanding more and more and then eventually seeing the UFC and seeing what Bruce had talked about transpire in reality to some degree uh, that changed everything the the walking through at Blockbuster and seeing UFC on VHS cassette was a life-changing moment for me I'll remember it the rest of my life you talked about your three options. Looking back, do you have any um, crossroads moments that if I would have done this, I would have gone down this path? Or that negative, the bad, the dark? Or no, I, I made a choice and I, I, I did this. And so then that put me on the trajectory that I'm on right now. Did you have a big, a big one or a bunch of small crossroads? I, I think it was a bunch of small ones. Um, I moved out of my house when I was 16. I was getting, not getting along with my parents. <clears throat> um, I was getting along with my older brother. <laughs> and I was dating Tish at the time. And so I moved to Belle Plaine on a whim. Let Jefferson know I needed my transcript. I'm moving out of town. Nobody believed me. And I, I bounced out. And... Uh, that was when I started really hammering into mixed martial arts and trying to find training partners. And it was not easy because, it, you, you know, this was predating all of us. There was just not that many people in the country doing this stuff. And so I would try to find a training partner here and there. And I found this guy, Kurt Marble from Blairstown. And we started training in the most, we already talked about, the most primitive of means. But it was this slow progression of teaching myself these combative arts because prior to this I was not a combatant I was a coward and I don't like to use the word coward now because it's like a shaming thing but I had cowardly behavior I avoided certain things because I was afraid that people would look down upon me courage was definitely not in my skill set and that bothered me that was part of what drove me to try and become a better stronger person but I was insecure up until I was 16 years old in my just physical strength level. I, I couldn't bench more than uh, 130 pounds. So I'm seeing all these dudes in high school, these athletes, and they're like, oh, yeah, I got up to 325. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I did 120 one time. But that's, you know, back then that was my measure of strength. Remember, I grew up in a bodybuilding household. So to be that weak was like, You know, everything wore on me. I feel like I was in a mental prison the majority of my adolescence until this, uh, if there's any crossroads event for my life that explains how my life has transpired since, it's UFC. 
it's renting that cassette and seeing on video what I'd seen on Jean-Claude Van Damme's movies so many times before. <laughs> I wanted to see that for real and I was watching it for real and I was like, this is going to be a part of my life now. This is a huge, this is what I've been looking for. Proof that little guys can handle their own. And there's hope for you, you little wussy. <laughs> now train hard for 20 years. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you think there was a way back, like a different way back then to get you, there was no path then. There was no, you know, Militich was just starting out and everyone was just beginning. And so there wasn't like a, a leader in Blairstown to go to, to Belle Plaine or anything like that. So you have become the man that you've become by avoiding shortcuts, it seems. So do you think there was any pipeline or did you purposefully avoid pipelines? I didn't purposely avoid pipelines. I just don't think there really was. There was Pat's and Pat's. Um, I don't even know if Pat was around when I moved. This would have been in 97. Just trying to think of uh, yeah. someone. N not in... really. Um, the first show we went to was in this National Guard armory. It was like 35 dudes. Most of them were fighting. They were beating each other up on tables, folded up tables covered in a tarp. And there were just was not many. I'm serious. There was this kid that was just turned 18. And there's a guy, Clayton Miller, who's like, I think at this point in his late 20s or 30. There's a couple guys with that name. But I know it rings a bell. The elbow and this cat in the head. And this, this dude's head is on the table. And the table is on the concrete. And I'm hearing this skull reverberation. I'm like, wow. Okay. Well, I'm not doing this for free. <laughs> but uh, there just wasn't that many people doing it. So if Militich was an option in Davenport, which would have been an hour away, it wasn't realistic for me in my financial situation. I was 17, 18. I was picking up roots on somebody's farm in Belle Plaine. And I trained at his, his uh, barn on mats in 30-degree weather as long as he would let me. That was the pipeline yeah. for you. That was my – when me and Kurt got an option to go out to Tom Book's farm, and wrestle in subarctic temperatures on mats that would break your kneecaps now, we were in heaven. We put on three layers of sweats and we grappled because it was a mat and it was a place we could go. And the Belle Plaine wrestling room every once in a while we got access to because my buddies went to Belle Plaine and they, they had inns. And so if you had inns, you could work out whenever you want, but they weren't always around. So we trained where we could train. And sometimes that was Kurt's living room. In the summer, it was outside. There wasn't a lot of people doing it. And uh, I feel like I got to a level of proficiency, if I'm being honest, that most people that weren't in it to win it wanted to continue because it was just them getting squished all the time. I was just training more and they were falling behind and it seemed more of a hobby to them and more of like a lifestyle to me. In retrospect, that's what it seems like. Fast forward to where you're at now or your life in the past 10 years, the things that you touch or the things that you associate yourself with now it seems like you're very selective in the things that you commit to because the things you commit to become elite the people you train don't just do okay they they they're the ones driving themselves to the top tier of their class so what is it that keeps you going what is it that drives you that others decide to step off that path and that keeps you getting up every day, putting your feet on the ground. I'm going to do this. 
I'm going to continue to commit to what I started. Gravestone. I want to leave a legacy. I want to, I want to choose very wisely, <clears throat> make decisions very wisely based on how I want to be remembered. Um, this way more so now than two years ago. When my dad passed away, it was like one of the bigger shifts in my entire life. I, I wouldn't say it was one of the bigger. It was the biggest by far. I completely changed as a person after my dad passed away. Um, I also know that you only have so much time in a day to make decisions. You only have so much brain computation to make decisions. And so I've tried to pare down my decisions a lot. I tried to pare down my lifestyle. Um, I don't live lavishly. I can't, honestly. I, I try to keep a pretty tight gym budget and a, and a tight personal budget. But um, my drive to pare down my decisions is so that I can spend time making the decisions that matter. I don't want to lend myself out to every direction when I believe in what my, my purpose and my calling is. And I, I believe that purpose and calling can evolve as time goes on. But if I didn't um, try to prioritize my decision making, I wouldn't have been able to put together a podcast or even know how to put together a podcast or build a gym or do any of this stuff. It's just such a grind, bro. It really is. I think that something that people don't really realize is how much. If you really want something, you're going to go after it, but you're going to sac you talked about it. You're going to sacrifice some things. And what people don't realize uh, on surface level is I've not seen my kids grow up more than probably half the time. You know, I've, I left uh, potentially a marriage hanging uh, behind me because of my commitment to martial arts. It's not really, uh, I don't, I don't feel, find a lot of admiration in those statements. I feel like I've sold my children short and myself short of being a father to some degree in pursuit of this. And it's been really hard for me to balance uh, the gravestone with the life that comes before it in the life that we're living now. I don't want to be so focused on my own mortality and how much time I have left that I don't enjoy the time I have with my kids. So it's a precarious balance, but I've had to make personal sacrifices, financial sacrifices, but more importantly, the, the sacrifice of time to get to where I want to be. And I think that some people are willing to sacrifice that and some people aren't. And the people that do are on that lonely extra mile more than the people that don't talked about your purpose and your calling what is it i think um and this will sound preposterous but i'm you know i'm almost 40 so i don't care <laughs> it's a comfortable it, age it is it's real snuggly i'm not there yet but i'm coming up on it i think my purpose and calling is to utilize my perspective and my experience collectively to drive forward the message to the world in whatever way that i can that our species will not survive without kindness and cooperation. That's it. I like it. Condensed, distilled. It's, it's simple. Uh, I think we, I think, it, and it's not me sitting on a high horse of morality and I care so much. I, I care about people, but I think it's a logical statement that if we don't, we as a species are the only species in history that we know of that are aware of their own mortality from a very young, like I was walking through the graveyard. And we fight and we quarrel and we kill people and murder and rape and pillage and destroy over and over and over. We listen to owners tell us what to do. 
And uh, I think there has to come a time when we as a species transcend uh, a lot of our uh, earthly desires and think about cosmic desires, think about getting off this planet and uh, understanding the logic in that if we don't as a species work together collectively, nation to nation, religion to religion, perceived difference to perceived difference, that at some point in time, uh, we are aware that some huge body, celestial body, will slam into our planet or vaporize us. And I have a problem with uh, 11 million people being murdered in the Holocaust for nothing. I'd like to see our species evolve and transcend and entertain wild possibilities like maybe we can get off this thing. And maybe there's a reason for all of this, and maybe we can go look for those bigger answers in a place we haven't, we haven't looked yet. Instead of let's fight for parcels of perceived land on this planet that will expire at some point in time. I feel like we have the most incredible gift that nobody really sees. And they see individually because they're wrapped up in their own perspective and experience. But if you, put, if you listen to the golden rules of many faiths, which essentially is this, do unto others. Treat people the way you'd want to be treated, simple. We would be so far along than where we are right now. And we could still have MMA fights and we could still have civil uh, disagreements. But I think that it's time that people start entertaining that world peace is a possibility because it's 2020. And we can, I can talk to somebody in China about the coronavirus that is going on right now uh, germ-free for essentially no cost because of electronic devices. We have communicative possibilities that we've never had before. I'm tired of the old excuses of the past. I want my life to be pushing some level of energy in the direction that the world goes to a more positive place because otherwise I feel like there's just a lot of death and suffering in vain. To allow that is immoral. To create a world that is war free. There's a lot of steps that could happen sure. before that happens. There's a lot of steps to get to prosperity for, for everyone. So the best way to help others is to distill that down again. What is one thing today to start the journey towards somebody listening to do one, one thing different today off of the normal path to start to right the ship. If, we just did step one is what? So we're not talking huge international committees, right? Okay. Step one, simple. Uh, go find somebody of a different ideology and background, somebody safe that you know, and have them over for dinner. And ask them about their life. And when they tell you that they're Muslim, ask them about Islam. And be kind to them if you're a Christian. Be kind to them if you're of no denomination. If you're an atheist, don't be like I used to be and be super arrogant. Because you don't really know shit anyway. You think you do because modern advances have given you science. And that's great. And we can measure things and it's phenomenal. We can't get off of our planet. So who are you judging? <laughs> you know, I... Uh, Set aside your perceived differences and try to understand other people's differences. Make a connection with somebody because if you understand somebody, you might see that, oh, you know what? Their religion is like really almost exactly the same as mine. 
they just want to take care of their family like I do. I'm going to look out for that. Cool thing about hard drive and the world I've tried to create, when I realized I couldn't change the world unless I changed my world, uh, the world I try to create in here, and the reason I have a five panel up there of the earth is because we're all on the same rock. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we get off the rock. If we don't, if the United States has its space budget, and Russia has its space budget, and China has its space budget, and it's a it's an ego plot to see who can do what first, and it's not an international effort to save the human species, we'll never make it. We don't have that much time, I don't think. You know? I think we have to I think this this is a theory of cosmic natural selection for me. And the cosmic natural selection theory goes into another podcast me and Eric did, and I'm going to give you the condensed version. Aliens. <laughs> Aliens. And Jesse's like, oh, jeez. Oh, jeez, Keone. Uh, if I were an alien and I traveled across the universe and I looked at Earth and I observed Earth, I would not make contact. Why not? Can't quit fighting with each other. I don't know. What are you? Too dangerous. Why is it too dangerous to make contact with humans? Why is it too dangerous to even let them know that you're there? I'm not going down this. <laughs> this is... Because people are easily corrupted. We're still fighting and warring. We could never give human beings technology to get off this planet. I think they're the, this cosmic natural selection thing that I have going on, whether aliens exist or not, I think there's a reason and a time for us to get off this planet. And I think that if we don't learn to work together, we're supposed to go extinct. Removing, getting off the rock. Mm -hmm. Is there any way that we can live on this planet and we can coexist and we can produce more healthy crops and we can uh, stop polluting and we can find a way to uh, go back to a simpler way? I think so. I think we can. I think it starts with education. I think it starts with having people Good parents that care and want their kids to grow up in a world and understand the world that they're in, not shelter them or not uh, focus or funnel their beliefs in one direction, but let the inquisitive mind do what it was meant to do. You know, if you believe in God, you believe God created a brain, right? Okay, well, let that brain work, you know. Don't try to control the information that goes into the brain. Understand the importance of human development. I understand people that want to keep their kids from certain things, but I also don't believe that our education system is as good as it could be. I don't believe that the results are as good as they should be with the amount of money we spend on it. Uh, so I think educating kids uh, and allowing kids to educate naturally in, in more nature, uh, I think that is a really, really good start. But uh, I, I think the, one of the biggest roadblocks that the human species has is language. I think it's a huge driver of our uh, innovation, of course. And it's come on fairly quickly in terms of human evolution, if you believe that type of thing. Might not. Um, but I think if we had a universal language that the international community said, hey, it's time. We all need to speak the same language. Uh, we are going to either make a new language that's going to be slowly taught over the course of 20 to 15, 20 years in all these you know, uh, nations, or we're going to adopt one standard and use it so that people can speak their language. I think about this type of thing all the time and 
one thing that's interesting to me is we haven't fought. When was the last time that the United States fought an English-speaking country? I think it's hard to sell. I think it's hard to put soldiers on a battlefield these days and go, go kill that guy that speaks the same language. You know what I mean? I just feel like it's easier to put people in a situation where the enemy is scary and you can't speak their language. But if we could speak each other's language, if we could communicate internationally, not having to decipher and you know, things like that, I think that'd be a good start. You know, if you educate our kids in 15 to 20 years to all speak the same language, I think that's not a bad idea. Right on. I, technology, I think, is coming. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I believe is coming a long way towards the end, uh, towards the uh, evolution of um, deciphering um, other languages. Uh, ear, yeah, Real time. Yeah, yeah. And being able to translate that. So That's wild. Uh, I don't know if I would really invest that. The amount of time it takes to be fluent in another language, mm -hmm. if there's a possibility of in five years, me being able to slap on a pair of headphones and speak. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there'll be limits to the language and slang and inflection of voices to understand when someone is being heartfelt or being sarcastic. So there's going to be limitations to that technology. However, it's getting uh, better. Sometimes when you, you have a conversation like this, you just lost and you don't know where to go. That's uh, cool. That, you know, what's great editing. So I think there are people that come into this gym and insert themselves into your life that are lost and are needing to understand where to go, how to turn my life around, how to put positive things into my life. Luckily, they knew enough to come to a place that is going to provide them a healthy level of adver adversity. So if somebody is struggling to figure out where to, uh, if they don't have a rudder or they're trying to figure out where their compass is, is pointing, what uh, direction would you point them in? Any direction, I'm biased. I would point them towards my gym uh, because of reasons already stated. This is a place where you can develop and cultivate your own personal strength. But I think what people need is faith and connection. I think they need connection with other human beings, and that's a big part of faith in tomorrow, in a brighter day, in being loved and being accepted. Any place that you can go to that provides positive community and faith, faith, i.e. hope and belief in a better day, go there. Uh, realize there are a lot of wolf, wolves, wolf. <laughs> wolf. wolves in, sh in sheep's clothing. Uh, there's a lot of wolves out there and they're all preying on this idea of positivity and they're not. Uh, a good example of this is to tie into my recent trip to Israel. I haven't adhered myself to any one faith my entire life. And I saw a lot of hypocrisy when I was a kid, even with my own family. So it pushed me out of the, the view of traditional religions, well, so to speak. And uh, I met a guy about 10 years ago, Jeremy Higgins, who was a pastor moving here from Arizona, wanted to get his kids some lessons and, and do some private lessons himself. And quickly the issue of faith came up and he asked me what my stance on it. I told him exactly how I felt on him. Like, you know, back then I was even more kind of crass than I am now about things. And he's like, oh, that's cool. You know, it's between you and whatever creator you believe in. This is how faith, you know, inspired me and changed my life. And, you know, he started telling me about his faith in Jesus Christ. And 
you know, I said, okay, well, I'm not going to shut that idea out. I realize my, the limitations of my knowledge, but I also know that I, there's a lot of things with the church I don't agree in. Now, the majority of my life, I've had Christians telling me that it's they have no place in judging you, but they still judge you anyway. And we all do this, you know, we're all feeble. But to say it in such close proximity, oh, I can't judge you, but then like, I can feel judgment coming from them, you know, this type of thing. I didn't feel that with him. I felt genuinely that he cared about me as a, in an individual and was trying to walk the walk of Jesus Christ. He's trying to behave the way Jesus would behave. And I got that almost immediately when talking to him. And then throughout the years, this man continued to support me. I didn't go to his church, not a single time. I didn't uh, change my mind or my stance on anything. In fact, we had many conversations lunches that he asked me to be involved in and we picked each other's brains and had these really really good uh talks and challenged each other and he continued offering support to me now there's been a lot of people that have offered support to me when it suited their best interests but then when it didn't suit the best interest and jeremy couldn't come because of a shoulder tweak or his kids were doing other sports he still supported me he still kept in contact with me and he never once judged or demanded anything that changed me. It changed the way that I saw his faith and the way I saw faith in general. And he, I believe, and I believe from the beginning, he's truly walking the walk. He is, Jesus Christ, his faith in Jesus Christ found him in a really, really dark hour and it saved his life. You know, who cares what somebody believes so long as if it brings them light and gives them faith and turns them into an amazing person. I don't. I used to. I used to want to argue and go, give me proof. Uh, didn't I hadn't read the Bible. I hadn't read the Quran. I didn't read any of that stuff. I'd written it off a long time ago because I studied the human behavior of my family, my inner family minglings between Catholics and Baha'is and just, you know, that's a devil, that type of thing. So I had such a, a bad image of religion, and this guy came along single-handedly and made me reconsider. And so I started reading the Bible. And 24 hours later, I find out I'm going to Israel, which is, you know, you know what people are going to say. I understand. <laughs> and I'm not ruling it out. I'm just saying I don't know. That's all. Right on. So, so it, I'm faith. guessing this trip opened your eyes to something or possibilities. Possibilities. It reaffirmed ideas for me. Uh, I, I believe uh, something that my mother taught me. A lot of these things come from my mother. I believe that science and religion have to agree. I believe that religion and religious texts that were put here throughout time and ages are meant to be a way of a creation's uh, communication to the people of the time. In the time of Christ, there were different languages spoken, Aramaic, you know, all this different stuff. There's also slavery, torture, mass murder, rampant, you know, uh, corruption all over the world. So how are you going to communicate evolution to somebody who doesn't even know that the earth is round? And I know there's debate, not really. <laughs> but how are you going to explain that? If I lived 2000 years ago, 3000 years ago, and you were trying to tell me how cellular division happened and evolution happened, I, my brain would not be capable of understanding what the hell you're talking about. 
So if I was some omnipotent, all-knowing, all-loving force, I might give you a scripture that makes sense to you now. I might tell you that Adam and Eve uh, were men, a man and a woman, but I might have been talking about a prim primordial soup. How is it interpreted? It's interpreted, oh, there's a dude, and then he takes a rib out, and then he just makes chick out of him, and then they just proliferate. Okay, well, that sounds kind of like what science hypothesizes, but can't put a, one, a firm finger on. Why are we not looking for connections in these messages? Why, are, why does the religious community completely rule out scientific finding, and why does the scientific f uh, finding completely rule out the importance of faith and hope in scientific discovery? They don't talk. They, they look at each other as mortal ideological enemies, and it's like, guys, you might save the world if you work together. You know, but why don't they? Uh, power, probably. You know, power or ego. I know, you don't know, but you don't have any faith. That's how you don't know, guys. Come on. You know. The message again, be kind. Be kind to one another. Yeah. Be yeah. nice. There's a lot of athletes, I'm sure you've trained, that uh, it's clear that you know that they're ready. You know that they're ready to fight for the first time or you know they're ready to commit to um whatever the big endeavor is how does someone else know if they're ready or not and when to commit and when to stop think prepare before committing are we talking mma talking anything if you wanted to start a business and you're not sure when if you wanted to ask that lady to marry you when to how do you know when you think you're ready and when you know you know you're ready it's so easy for me um just i don't think about that stuff anymore i think if you want something and you've thought of it you're already late in asking for it potentially you need to if you really really want something like you can't live without it don't ask yourself when you should start a business if you just honor your thoughts just go with the flow now there's a lot of people that don't know what they want in life yet they haven't found something fulfilling or they haven't found some mission and doesn't you know there is a possibility people just chase a bunch of different opportunities i see that a lot actually the fake it till you make it crowd the the i hate to say i'm older and i'm not a part of that crowd but the generation uh or the t the 10 years right below me i i see this a lot somebody picks up a camera they're a professional photographer now they took some pictures and they've got a nice camera. You know, it same with all kinds of artistic me. I'm a dancer. Are you, are you a professional dancer? Or do you just like, are you pretty good at dancing? You know, there's a lot of people that are just shooting at the hip and thinking it's an identity crisis, I feel. But I think if you have a centered mind and a disciplined mind and an idea comes up to, into your head, like, I, I don't know. I, that's a good question. I think it's a process, but I honor my thoughts now a lot more than I once did in that if I feel something, if I feel something in, in contemplation of something like a podcast or something, I just start. I just go. And, and the way I think of it is it goes, I don't want to beat a dead horse of a podcast, but it's a gravestone again. I don't have time to think too much. I have to go, you know, and when it comes to competition, let's say, uh, I don't want to fight 
or compete unless I have something to prove to myself. And in MMA specifically, I think that you'll know when it's time when you believe that you can be a world champion. If you're going to be a professional mixed martial artist, which I think is the only kind you should aspire to be, I think that you're, you should have one central goal. That's to be a world champion. Because to, to do anything other than shoot for the very best, shoot for the biggest legacy, which in that medium is becoming the world champion, you have to commit everything to it. You have to be obsessive because if you're not, somebody else is. You have to put everything that you have into it. And one weakness I've had in the past is I, I do chase things and I get distracted and I'll get obsessed with a certain medium for, you know, three months and then I'll like, yeah, I'm all in or I'm all out. Martial arts has been the consistent standard to that. And I think the important part about martial arts for me was it helped develop somebody and my confidence to a level that I believe I can actually fulfill this destiny that I chase, this uh, doing something well, leaving a positive mark on the world, being leaving a bigger mark than I even thought that I ever could. I think that's what MMA has brought me to, to convince myself, hey, maybe you're going to be the guy. Maybe, uh, maybe instead of sitting around and waiting for the guys to show up and to deliver this message, this is your job. And, and not only is it your job, but now you believe that it can be done because insurmountable odds have been your entire life and you've grinded and grinded and grinded and grinded. So I used to think, oh, someday I hope that I can speak to people and just go, look, there's a better way to do this. We have to be kind to each other. This is why it's logical. And I went, honestly, if I'm being honest, who the fuck are you? <laughs> people are going to think you're a douchebag, arrogant, uh, narcissistic you know, self And now I have the confidence to know that, um, fine, let them think what they want. You know, I, I firmly believe what my purpose is. And, and that's only because I went a hundred miles an hour towards MMA. But my goal was not to become a world champion self-admittedly. It was to prove that I had the guts to get into a cage and just execute. I think the biggest lesson was that when the time comes for me to throw myself into peril for what I believe in, I'll do that. And I, I'm doing that now by uh, being vulnerable and telling people what I really believe instead of the things that I, I held back for a lot of, lot of years. I believe I'm more important than I used to think that I was. I used to think I was just some guy that was stubborn and would not close his business no matter what. He would just keep building gyms and keep pushing this dream forward. And now I believe that that was for something more. So the photographer that bought the camera and, and, uh, um, how do they go through the quiet to understand who they are and make that choice? How do they go through the quiet? Yeah. You said to, um, it has to be quiet. You have to sit with yourself. What needs to happen there for them to figure out for one, do I want to be a photographer Two, is this going to parallel with my goals? what are you are you somebody that meditates are you somebody that goes for a run how do you find the things that are going to work in your life and the things that are not going to work in your life personally 
I just let them come to me as life delivers them at this point in time. Uh, I know that's not a convenient answer, but like this editing and podcasting, I'd had this idea. Me and Eric had had this idea for like a year, but it was an idea that uh, I think was most importantly, I think the most important thing about it was that we had an idea and we pushed it and we kept pushing it and kept pushing it. Small little incremental movements. We talk about this in the gym. 1% better every day. 1% better every day. Not being satisfied with uh, who you were yesterday. Trying to become a little bit better in, in whatever it is. I feel like I listen to my heart and what I like to do. And I've liked to do a lot of things. I've had baseball card collections and I've had rock collections and all this shit. But I feel like all of it was a way to develop appreciation towards where I'm at right now in life. I mean, it's narrowed my perspective. But I let these things come to me personally pretty naturally. And uh, how would one know? I think that if, you're, if you pick up a camera and you take a picture and it's well-balanced and well-proportioned and the scene looks good and you're totally happy with it, you should put that camera down. I think that if you um, throw uh, some punches on the bag, heavy bag, and you're pretty impressed with how good you are day one, you should probably just quit that too. I think that an artist, and I think we're all artists, I think every individual human being is an artist in some respect, they just don't even know it, or they might not have applied to it. An artist is somebody that discovers a medium that they're not satisfied in their performance with. And that's how they know they love it. Because even though they're not satisfied with it, they'll keep coming back over and over again for the prerequisite 10,000 hours it takes to get to mastery. Or roughly. So is that, will that master ever experience happiness? No. So if you're wanting to be the best in the world at something, understand that you're it won't be sacrifice a happy place. Yeah. You're going to make sacrifices. There will be periods, short-lived periods of elation. And then there will be very sh same thing on the other side of the spectrum. And the art to balancing this is to find some flow and to understand that the peaks make the valleys so sweet. Wait. Yeah, we'll go with that. The valleys make the peaks so sweet. Um, the, you can't have a perspective. It's the duality. You know, you can't have a perspective of what high is without lows and, and vice versa. So I think the art of life is finding neutral and finding a place where you're just content and happy and full of love and happy to be alive, you know? Um, so life happens in neutral. I guess that's the way I feel for myself. Yeah. Um, if you're doing it right, you find a, a state of neutrality. Uh, if you're doing it wrong, you're, you'll go forward sometimes, but you hit reverse more than you hit forward, you know, and then you see the, you see the journey ahead and it's so long that you don't even want to hit it in first gear. It's, it's just too much work, you know, and then there's people that race headfirst into everything. Uh, and I think that you spend a lot of time in your life doing both. You know, when I was a kid, I was taking two steps back over and over and over, just doing stupid stuff I had no value in my life and there's still times where I take a step back and go oh so I feel sorry for myself I pity myself why is life so hard here and there it's not 
you know, that's just my experience, my collective experience. Somebody else is hard, makes me look like a coward, makes me look weak. There's, there's kids right now going through things I've never went through in my life. So I understand when I have those valleys and I've understood this, I feel like for a long time, I can tell you when I, I didn't really realize this, when I had the valleys, they didn't compare to other people's valleys. I think having an education when I was young and knowing what happened to people and not having things sugarcoated, having my mom tell me, no, in the Holocaust, they did horrible things like, you know, burned people up alive in ovens and such. I went, whoa. You know, I, I appreciate uh, what I have. But that's that's a good question. It's difficult for me to answer that question. What I, what I think I'm hearing from you, stop me if, if it's off, but the joy, like uh, enjoying the moment can only happen, you know, however, you cannot understand your life's potential hanging out in the middle. Right. In order to have growth, in order to truly understand far or how much you can change the world only happens in drive first gear and then in second i'd agree with that that yeah i mean i'm not i didn't get accomplished what i accomplished um if i accomplished anything by standing still and and smelling the smelling the roses or the coffee or whatever i was moving 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 but I was moving in one sole direction. There were a lot of phases of my life that I feel, a lot of like perceivable lifetimes that I lived where MMA was the constant. You know, I've had, I've been through marriages, different marriages. Now I've got, I've been uh, with the Courtney now for 10 years. I was married to Tish or with Tish for, you know, about the same amount of time. The only thing that's really been a constant in my life during that time is martial arts. That's been the congruent thing. And so, why? Because when I realized that's what I wanted to do, um, at least with the first phase of my life, that was I put every single waking amount of energy and money and focus into it because I was obsessed with it. And part of what drove that obsession was the pain of my youth. I wouldn't say part of it, the, the overwhelming majority probably. And so once I felt that empowerment in, the, in this medium, it was hard. It was intoxicating. Once I felt some personal power and wow, I can make somebody quit and I couldn't even start when I was a kid, you know, it was, it was, uh, overdrive. It was all, all gears forward. And, uh, there's a lot of tough times, man. There were a lot of tough times that I was so quitting so close. Just why, you know, I had people tell me Keone. If it hasn't happened by now, it's not going to happen. Just give it up. I had somebody literally say that to me verbatim, and they were very close to me, and it hurt bad. And it drove me. Pissed me off, you know? So we were talking about that balance of ego. It's there. If you don't have a balance of ego, I might have been like, oh, that's okay. I'm going to go sit on the beach and contemplate life. But what would I change there? One person here, one person there. I wanted to make a bigger impact. So I made a bigger sacrifice, I feel like. With that gravestone moment, or um, there's a lot of good things that can happen out of uh, um, thinking of mortality and thinking of what limited time that we have. I think of, uh, I was blessed with a career where I got to drive 
where I got to sit in the back of an ambulance with people going to the hospice house. They knew they were going to be in the vehicle for the last time. They were going to see the last sunset. This was the last ride they're ever going to have. It's the last random person they're ever going to meet. And so they would have a very heartfelt conversation with me of the things that they appreciated, the things that were meaningful to them in the synopsis of their entire life. What is going to be the moment or what is the, the most meaningful thing that you're going to look back in on in your life and cherish the most? The vision of my uh, parents and my children and my brothers and uh, my team. That's it. So everything you had in the beginning? If you, uh, minus the team. Yeah. Um, but the personally for me, those are the people I'd want to surround myself with. And I think that's all that matters when I pass away, that I'm surrounded by uh, somebody that, that I love and that loves me or that uh, I know that I, I projected my love into the world in a way that made a difference. Um, yeah, I'm in a weird place right now personally because when I was young, I spent a lot of the time in my own thoughts imagining places like I am now and never assuming that they could be, you know? The person who I wanted to grow up to be in my own fantasies, you met, you know, years and years and years and years ago. So where I am now is um, a totally different place than I even projected myself I could ever be. And that type of experience uh, that, again, was harnessed through some level of pain, uh, personal grief, <clears throat> brought me to this place. You know, it brought me to this place where like everything is new and everything's icing on the cake and every new thing that I do is just a way that I can express myself in a new way. Uh, that's why I think kids should be taught to follow their dreams. That's why I give so much credit to my mom for saying, be poor and happy if that's what it takes. You know, that was one of the first things that she ever really impressed upon me was life was too short to waste it in the pursuit of material things, you know? And so what means the most to me? I think the same things now that are important to me, the same things that were important to me, they'll be important to me. The, the real key for me is this, Lennox, that people recognize that before they go. Not, not on the ride to hospice, but they think about the ride to hospice. They think about being, when they're my age, like I do every day, there could be some semi there could be some car that I never see coming, that I never have the opportunity to evade, and it can all be over any second, you know? And it will be someday. And when I walk with that forward, it's very easy to find neutrality. It's very easy to go, I know where I'm going, but I appreciate where I am. And I uh, have compassion knowing that other people are going to, to the great unknown. You know, they're walking a walk I haven't had to walk yet, but I'll be ready. When I get there, I'm going to be ready to go. It sounds like, peeling this back a little bit, you enjoy shifting gears. You enjoy moving forward on the path, going from one gear, the space in between, first gear and second gear. However, you're still on the path. You're still going forward, and you're still 
pushing this gym, pushing this enterprise, pulling it along with you, um, creating that vacuum of success that if somebody that just meets you, they think has just always been around. Right. <clears throat> so sometimes a person like yourself is not as good at talking about all the good, positive things that you, we're not very good at bragging about ourselves. Yeah, we're taught not to. But um, I'd like to tell me about all the programs that you're providing. Uh, tell me about uh, how you're helping the community in Cedar Rapids. Um, so the city of Cedar Rapids has seen a pretty big increase in crime since I was a kid. I know what martial arts does. I'm, I'm a member. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know because I went from a very insecure young man to a very secure man. And a lot of things went into that, but martial arts was an enormous contributor to it. I know that I went from a, a kid in emotional pain, you know, to uh, a man that was emotionally pretty confident. There are kids out there right now that feel the way that I felt but they might even be getting harassed or bullied and they can't even escape it online now. So now it's a constant presence in their life. I feel like people more and more are doing less. They're, they're doing less in terms of fitness and moving their body the way humans are supposed to move their body. I believe this is making imbalances mentally or at least helping to further them. I feel like martial arts is such a needed medium right now for uh, young men and women to come in here and to exert themselves in ways that people are supposed to, in healthy ways, and surround themselves with people that are very humble, that have been humbled many, many times before, so they can be shown what strength really looks like. Strength doesn't look like I was just born with this, this skill set. Strength comes from failure and suffering and rising above and transcending what you were yesterday. And this is a, a great medium to do that. So. Some of the programs we've offered, uh, we offer jiu-jitsu, which is, of course, a ground-based martial art, and it allows potentially smaller, weaker people to overcome size disparities with leverage and really science. I call it a science class. Um, kickboxing is also a science class of sort, but it's more you know, designed to brain people and do catastrophic damage to uh, them, but still an apt and necessary way to defend yourself. Uh, we have wrestling programs for young kids that are benefiting kids that will never know where we started. They'll never understand that. By the time they are grown and talking about their hard drive experience, it'll be a completely different story. We might not be even a part of it anymore. Um, and we're offering, you know, we do, I try to do as much as we can. I've offered free self-defense seminars, and I've explained in these seminars that you can't learn to defend yourself in a seminar. Yeah, tried to educate my community and let them know the truth and the brutality of the world at times and make them think about possibilities that they might not be prepared for. And just recently uh, offered a month for kids in my community to come in here. Those kids, same kids, some of whom are shooting each other up, giving them an opportunity to come in regardless of their economic status and see if this is something that they like. Because I'll tell you what, if I get some kid from the inner city who's getting into trouble, but he finds a passion here, I'll make it work. I don't care if he can pay for it. I'm going to make it work. And that's one of the benefits of perceived success or having this as an opportunity is, is I can give it away. I get to, I get to a position regardless of uh, economic status where I can give this to people that need it 
in their life because that kid, maybe he's the guy. Maybe I think I'm the guy, but really all I am is the guy that gets the guy where he needs to go. Does not matter. That is my statue. That, that uh, legacy or that drive to give back, that's one way that I'm doing it now. I, don't, I no longer believe it's the um, only way now. I used to think that this gym and the culture that I'm trying to create within this gym, and I, I argue that I would, was the limitation of my life's achievement. And that was okay, you know? It, at one point it was okay. But then I went, why? Why would you say limitation? You know that's not true. You've experienced it. You have, you have had this internal voice for 20 years going, you can do this. It can be done. It's ludicrous, but you can do it, and you should because nobody believes that you can, because you even doubt it. And I listened to that voice in the darkest hours, bro, in the darkest, darkest hours of my life. I listened to this voice that said, no, keep going. You know, and I had epiphanies and I had great moments of clarity that I don't even need to speak about or embellish upon, but they really opened up my eyes. But I always had this voice going, outlast them. These people come and go. Outlast them. Build something that matters. Remember the, the snowball going down the hill when at first it's a little ball and then it's this avalanche of destruction. Commit to it. Realize that if you do this for 10 years, if all you do, and this is a message to the kids out there, it's very simple. If you find something you love and you smash yourself into it with earnest obsession, and you're healthy, even if you have a job, and you go and you go and you go and you commit all this time to it, at some point, somebody out in the world is going to go, hey, I'll pay you if you show me how to do that. You're pretty good at that thing that you do. Can you make that for me? Or can you show me how to do that? I will give you money and trade for your knowledge. That's how I started a business, is I just went out and collected a bunch of information that was available for free at the public library. And every once in a while, my parents graced me with the Navy SEAL combatives course from the back of Black Belt Magazine. And I started practicing these moves. And I had people come into my school saying, hey, knowledge is power. Educate yourself, believe in yourself, and chase your dreams. And I went, Pfft. but it was there, though. It was there. And so I did that. And I tried it. And once I started empowering myself and my skill got better, and I went, oh. It, it didn't take too long to figure out that if I just keep pushing, I'm going to get better and better and better and better and better. And eventually, I might even reach a point of <clears throat> mastery where I can do this for a job. Somebody will pay me enough to live my life and I can actually express myself in its truest form. That's my story. And so I'd like that to be something that people can take from my life when my life concludes that like, look, this guy, he didn't have anything. He was kind of a insecure little social anxiety kid. And he taught himself how to fight. Then he taught other people how to fight. They went on to be professional fighters. And then he built this gym that showed the world a microcosm of the world we could be. Well, you can cut my limit off right now and you can shut down my life and put me underneath one of those, one of those rectangles. And I'm, I'm all set. I feel good about what I've accomplished so far, but now I believe what else I'm capable of.
of. And that's scary even in itself because now I have to, uh, I'm never going to leave martial arts ever. It's my compass. But now I, I have belief and faith in myself to do much bigger and grander things. And I think this gym is a microcosm of what I believe I can do. I, I want to put this message out to the world that we need to be kind to each other to survive. And why wouldn't we want to thrive in such a way? Why wouldn't I want heaven to be here before we find it out there somewhere? I think that's something that, you know, to circle back to what we talked about early on is there's people that you meet in life that really have more there, that have depth, that have a very comfortable feeling with themselves. And they're the ones that understand mortality. They understand what they have impacted in life, in the world, and how they can continue to impact it. And that tomorrow's a gift. And uh, hopefully we get that conversation tomorrow. So um, it's awesome that you're giving away the, the things that you fought so hard to learn. And I think those are the, by building the community that supports you, it's uh, two things that are going to parallel themselves and just continue to feed positivity of the community around you, the city, the family that you've built. It's not an accident. And, it, you know, what, what, what do people do if they want to start? You know, how do they just come into the gym and ask for Keone Coke? Like, how do they, how simple is this to take the um, first step to change so their life? The first thing you have to do is open your car door. <laughs> Get in it. Drive here. I want to be a martial artist. I'm but I'm not in shape now. I'm not in shape to come there. It's okay. I wasn't in shape either. I couldn't lift 120 pounds, remember? You know, I was a weakling at one point in time. And we all are. We're all born that way. But there's day one. And this can be day one for you of something else. Or it can be day whatever. It can be just another day where you make another excuse or you put it off or you, you know, to get in shape. We, you, I know why you picked that. It's funny because so many people say, it. I just need to get in shape. And anybody who's owned a gym has known this. First of all, you're not going to get into this kind of shape because you need to do this to get into this kind of shape. But second of all, you could die tomorrow. So come in, talk to us, say, I want to improve myself in terms of fitness. I want to, martial arts is a vehicle for all of these things, but the hardest thing is coming here. And once people get here and they walk in the door and they look around, they go, oh, well, this place is all white, so there's no way that there's massacres that are going on here. There's so many negative associations with combat, martial arts now. I feel like society's gotten a little soft. You know, they're not as hardened as we used to be. And this is a good way to make sure that we keep our humane edge and our, our humble edge. Um, I think that it, it says something about martial artists when you have so many of them out there that are so capable. In, in destroying a human body and taking life, if we're being honest, swiftly, quickly, brutally. And they don't, they could. And I know many insecure people, including myself in, in, in a weaker time in my life who would want to lash out and feel power when I didn't deserve it, I hadn't earned it. But martial artists generally, there is exceptions to the rule. I find them much more rare than the status quo. They don't learn how to break people's arms and legs and choke people unconscious and then just go on a massive limb breaking spree 
or a strangling spree. They're not, they're mentally tamed and tempered by the process of being humbled. They haven't been allowed to let this ego go out of control. These are imbalanced people. I feel like martial arts shows you one of the truest senses of balance that you can achieve because you don't have a choice in some things. You have to learn to adapt to them. And what a sport, what a medium to make yourself better. The beautiful thing about it is now it's not a grinder like you and I saw because we were ignorant and didn't know how to train correctly. But we it, 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 it helped develop us. I don't regret a single bit of it. Now I'm able to take the bulk of my experience and teach it in such a more efficient way. There's there's times when you know the only regrets that I can think of is being named a coach when I didn't feel like I was ready to be a coach yet. I had a higher expectation of myself, but I was the de facto coach because I had the most experience. You know, but was it deserved? Was I more, as skilled as other people? No, but I was going to find some way to do whatever I could to make sure that I honored you in whatever way I could. You know, that I was a teammate. That's that's really it. So come in and start. You know, this isn't any this isn't rocket science. If you want to take a pottery class, go do it. You know, if you want to knit, if you're passionate about that, if you like, if the idea of making a blanket from soft, fuzzy material is cool to you, kill that. Go do it and do it the best. You know, the street sweeper. If you're going to be a street sweeper, be the best street sweeper that there ever was. I believe that. And uh, I think most people, if they were brought up in a loving environment, in a loving community, I think everybody would be an artist of some kind. I think everybody would be, uh, would have an imaginative uh, or a cultivation of their imagination and they'd be some expressive artist in some way, dance, craft, um, martial arts, whatever. But I think people are stifled by uh, life and expectation and what their parents want for them. And uh, I, I hope the future is one where technology allows more expression and encourages this at some profit, you know, because we need more of it. We need more people. We need more believers. We need more people out there going, leave me alone. I'm painting off in their own world so that they can share that world with others that want to share that same connectivity. I think connectivity and love is. Yeah. Through martial arts, through difficult times is how you're expressing your kindness to the world. Some would find that ironic, but there's so much to be learned. And that gift or that artistry is is there, and it's uh, a great way to impact the world. So, thank you. Thank you for this conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, putting me on the grill. Right on. <laughs> thank you, brother. All right, thank you, Jesse. Uh, guys, I hope you enjoyed our bonus supplemental podcast. Uh, keep a lookout. We'll have some more stuff coming. And I want to thank my gracious host today, Mr. Jesse Lennox. Jesse, uh, just as a side note. He, we got done with the last podcast, and he goes, well, I didn't even get to ask you any of my questions yet. So we planned this, and I'm glad we did because it makes me think. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't often have people going, let me get in there and see what's going on. And then sometimes I get in there, and I realize, like you guys did, that there's sometimes there's not much going on. Work into the crawl space. Yeah, working in the crawl space, making peace there. All right, guys, thank you. Jesse, thank you. I appreciate it, brother. Let's hug. Let's hug again.
This podcast was made possible by Gail and Douglas Koch and the family hard drive. Music courtesy of Mike Chino.